Welcome to Game On Girl. Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of Game On Girl. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, and in this episode, I interview indie author Trish Heinrich. We talk about how geekdoms influence writing, our favorite con, and what it takes to become an indie author. So welcome, and thanks for listening to Game On Girl. Trish Heinrich is an indie author from the Pacific Northwest, a mom of two, a wife, and a total geek. Her words, not mine. (laughs) Her book series, The Vigilantes, features kick-ass heroines, chilling villains, and fast-paced action. I had the pleasure of meeting Trish at Geek Girl Con this year, where we sat next to each other on a Geeky Moms panel, and I couldn't wait to have her on the show. Trish, welcome to Game On Girl. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I finally got time to schedule interviews. <laughs> me too. It was it was so awesome being on the panel with you. And then the holidays hit and it was yeah. just like crazy. Yeah. And what's funny is that so next year's Geek Girl Con is even later. It's it after, is? yeah, it's after Halloween. It's in November. Um, so I'm like, you're really trying to hurt us. <laughs> I know. Well, I, and I got that alert right after the con and I'm like, oh no, this is my October thing. This right. is what I do, yes. you know? And mm-hmm. so I just, I, I actually, I need to go back and look at it because it might fall on my anniversary, which oh. would be very interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. It really would. Yeah. Um, that would be, a, I, I don't know your husband or your relationship, but I can tell you that picking between my relationship and my husband and Geek Girl Con, that would be hard. <laughs> it would be very hard. He's very understanding. That's He's good. Very understanding. That's good. Um, but I think he might be a little. Oh, really? You know, right. kind of right with this. So I don't know. We'll have to chat. Right. <laughs> and for any of our listeners who don't know, Geek Girl Con is amazing. It's in Seattle once a year. Um, oddly enough, I think the first ones actually were in August, and then they moved it later because um, it like was so close to Penny Arcade Expo PAX. Mm. So I think they ended up eventually moving it later, which I think works out much better. Um, but yeah. November is it's going to be interesting because it'll re- like literally be the week before. I think it's the week before Thanksgiving from what oh, I remember geez. seeing. I can't remember. I can't no. remember if it was earlier mid. Anyway. They usually, you know, they the past couple of years they've ran into like the same weekend or very close to the same weekend as one of the larger Comic Cons. And I think I'm wondering if they moved it later to not butt up against that and maybe get some other people like some bigger names in. I don't know. That could be that could be. I wouldn't be surprised if they were doing something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'll go to the ends of the earth to get to Geek Girl Con because it's definitely the best community I think I've ever seen in a con. Um, and it's, it's the size is perfect and yes. the people there are so invested in what they're talking about and, um, being a community, it's just, it's really awesome. So if any of you listening ever have a chance to go, go. Yes. Sure. And it's very kid friendly too. It is very kid friendly. I didn't bring my daughter last year, but the plan is to bring her this year. Um, I think she will really enjoy the science zone and um, oh, all the experiments yeah. and stuff. So, and the other podcast that I do, Geeking with the Moms, um, Nicole brings her daughter, who's, whose name is Anna, and she's been there, been going since she was little, little. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, oh, Anna and my daughter could be together. That would be great. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> so that's part of our plan for <laughs> next year <laughs> or well, this year. Let me, yeah, I know it's weird to say I that, know. isn't it? So, yes. <laughs> Well, if you do that, let me know because I bring my daughters every year. Okay, yeah, that'd be awesome. So we could do we a, have whole... a little meetup. Oh, yeah, that would be great. I love that. I love that. All right, so let's kind of start with a little bit of your background. So, yeah. share some of your geeky interests, your first fandom, your current passion. What's what have you got? <laughs> well, I think one of my earliest memories, as far as uh, something geeky in a fandom went, would go, is. Um, Wonder Woman, the the Linda Carter television show. <laughs> um, they played it in syndication, and it was in the afternoon. And I remember the only time really I watched TV in the afternoon was when I was at my grandmother's house. So mm. I was always like, I loved being at her house because I could watch Wonder Woman. Right. Um. 
So I remember that and Star Wars actually are two yep. of my earliest geek memories, things that I just, I absolutely love. Yes. Um, I think my first like, oh, that's so romantic was Han Solo and Princess Leia. Like that was just kind yep. of like one of my earliest crushes, honestly. So. There was a swoon factor. There was definitely yeah. a swoon factor for sure. Yeah. So I that's one you. of the earliest things I can remember. Um, and then when I got into adolescence, uh, I loved the X-Men cartoon. And I also really loved Voltron and She-Ra and right? like yep. just kind of all of that fantasy, mm-hmm. science fiction kind of stuff. Um, and then as I grew up, uh, you know, I... I met my husband and he introduced me actually to fantasy novels. Cause my, my impression of them was always like Conan the Barbarian S. Right. And I was yeah. like, ah, I don't really want anything to do with that. But then he um, gave me a book by an author named Guy K. And I was blown away by the, just the beautiful language and the imagery and the characters. And I thought, Oh my gosh, if this is what fantasy novels are like, then give me more. And I've, I don't really branch out a whole lot in terms of like the books that I love. I'm, I'm more, I'm really a science fiction fantasy lover, but, and also like any of the subgenres in there. Mm-hmm. So I'll read almost anything that is under those two umbrellas. Um, and honestly, like when I, when I hit my teen years in my early twenties, I kind of let go of a lot of like my geekiness. I would still watch yep. Star Trek. I did too. Um, I, but I just didn't really feel like I had an avenue for it. You know, Mm -hmm. like my friends weren't really into it. And I would go with my dad to see Star Trek. You know, we would sit and watch the the original series together if it was on. Um, He loved The Twilight Zone and Mm -hmm. The Outer Limits. So I'd watch that with him. And, but that was really about it until I met my husband. And then a lot of his friends were geeks. Um, And then, oddly enough, we were talking about Geek Girl Con. I went to Geek Girl Con uh, for business purposes. I was a producer on a web, on a superhero web series. And I went there to meet people to try to get, you know, uh, some eyes on it so we could get right. some money into it. Yeah. And I ended up having just this incredible, like, awakening of realizing I love this stuff. And I don't, and I don't just love it for its own sake. I love it for the community. I love it for the the feminist aspect mm-hmm. of it, how how we as women can be empowered through these narratives. And it was just this huge moment for me that I look back and I'm like, that's the moment where I really owned like kind of a really significant part of who I was that I mm-hmm. kind of just put on a shelf. And ever since then, I have been voracious in terms of uh, pop culture uh, in particular, like just learning more about it from a a more intellectual standpoint, uh, a historical standpoint. Uh, and I don't, I tried, I try reading comic books. I really do, <laughs> which is funny to say because I'm a superhero author, right? <laughs> but I don't really read comic books. Well, you know, um, I mean, you know, comic books are not, I, I'm this, I'm similar too. like, I've had a lot of friends give me comic books and give me series to read and, and I get into them for a little while and I'm more inclined if they give me um, like a volume of, of several together yeah. and it's more like a graphic novel where I yeah. can kind of get into a bunch at one time, but I still, I still find it hard too. Um, and I don't, I'm not exactly sure what that is about it. Um, like I was going to study wonder woman. Like that's what my dissertation was going to be about. Oh my gosh. That's um, awesome. And, yeah. And then, and I completely changed. I, I, I did women gamers instead, which I'm so thankful for, but I remember having gotten the, hardbound copies of her first comic books like Uh the first series of her runs in like 1950s and sitting down to read them and I'm like I can't tell if I hate this because of the era (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) or if I just hate this yeah and I still haven't I will read you know uh, occasionally but I still have a hard time with it so don't you're not alone in that and you, you can love superheroes and not really embrace comic books which people you know come at me if you want to I'm okay <laughs> no 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 I'm so glad you, to hear you say listen. that yeah, yeah. no yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say yeah. that because I have a few that I that I like you said I'll get into a series but then I kind of fall by the wayside and part of that is because I have a hard time tracking the story mm-hmm. honestly I get lost I'm like oh the, the, yeah. the next panel's up here and and um 
my husband tried to get me to read digitally because he has this huge tablet. It's like this, the size of my computer screen on oh, wow. it's ginormous, but it's perfect for reading digital comics. Right. You can look at the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, I'll try that. And I still got lost. And I was like, you know what? It's, I think I'll read them every now and then. Right. And I have, like I picked up the Princess Leia series and I read that for a little while. Uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's Captain Marvel run. I loved that. Yep. Um, but my daughter, my oldest daughter really is the comic book fanatic right now in the family. If it's in a graphic novel format or anything else, she'll read it. And so I've kind of, I, I've looked at some of hers and I've, I've been reading a lot of hers, but never really sinking into a comic book the way I do a novel or a movie, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, Not having that, um, I don't want to say suspension of disbelief, but, but that moment where you lose time because you're so invested in the story. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So these days it's more, um, I love, uh, MMORPGs. Uh Absolutely love them. I, played Rift for a really long time. And I, oh, just, I used to play Rift. I just recently went back to World of Warcraft. It was like my first one. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, I'll give it a shot again. And I'm just oh, kind right of falling on. back in love with it. Yeah. Um, I don't do a lot of console game, but when I do, I'm like really invested. Like that's when my competitive streak comes out. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I don't get to, I don't play it very often. And I don't have very many friends or family that will play with me because of that probably. Um, <laughs> but um, funny. yeah. And so, my, and I also love movies. Like I mm-hmm. love Star Trek, even the reboots. And yep. there are some issues with that, but yep. I still love it. It's Star Trek, you know, yep. uh, Star Wars, superhero, uh, like the TV shows on the CW, um, all of that. I think that's really my, oh my gosh, I can't get enough. I will watch any and all of it pretty much. Yeah. Just to immerse yourself in it. Yeah. Exactly. I get that. I think it's, I think it's interesting. And maybe that's something that, you know, people can explore a little bit more because I wonder if there's some part of the dynamic of superheroes that gets lost in the comic book page. And that's one of the reasons why, like we are both expressing this inability to connect with that format. Um, And, but not having that issue when it's, when it's live action and it's a movie or it's a TV show. Uh Um, So I wonder that that might be, I don't know. I'm always thinking about like patterns or connections we can potentially see between how we, um, engage with media. I mean, part of that was um, like my my research was specifically on women who played digital role playing games, oh, nice. <laughs> which came directly out of me playing WoW. <laughs> How can I make it research? I love that. <laughs> Continue so much. to play World of Warcraft. <laughs> I have to have a subscription to World of Warcraft because it's research. And it's it's like tax deductible, which is like amazing. It like, you know, all goes together. Um, So yeah, so that was all, you know, that was all part of what kind of came out of of the dissertation for me. So it's fun to hear you say that you've gone back to World of Warcraft and that you played Rift. The one I just went back to recently is Dungeons and Dragons Online, which dates back even further than, um, than WoW. Um, and is it's so funny because it's it's a really small community kind of I mean small like MMOs are not small by nature but like it's it's smaller than like you know the the last time I played WoW was right during the Pandaria expansion that was the last one that I bought and um, me too that's 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 right around when I stopped playing. Yeah. And I, I had, I, my daughter was small and I thought, Oh, I can play like when she's sleeping. I mean, like, I mean, that was a fantasy. Um, yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Never <happened>. <laughs> I can <laughs> do this. Sure. I can. And you're and, in a dungeon and the baby yeah. wakes up and you're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, what yeah. do I do? <laughs> I know exactly. Like it just never worked. And a, a friend of mine actually wrote an article about how the way she parented and played MMOs was with the follow function where she would just put herself on follow and catch up when she could. Oh my God, that's brilliant. It was brilliant. Um, I never quite got the hang of like being able to like multitask with it. So I just dropped it for a while. And now she's older, she sleeps longer. I can actually kind of go in and play at night. Um, but DDO is small and it's uh, it's a little kinder than um, I remember the community in World of Warcraft being. Um... Yeah, I actually, I have an author friend. She She's a big wow head. And I was like, because when I left, it was pretty toxic. Honestly. Mm-hmm. And that was it, one of the yeah. I left. 
and rift rift can be toxic but for the most part people just kind of leave you alone right um and i asked her about it and she says no they've really kind of cleaned up that element a little bit so i'm dipping my toe back in the water we'll see i I still have rift because you can play it for free so i'm like i'm not giving it up i'm just kind of branching out a little bit yeah. you know? and there's yeah and sometimes that does is like remind you everything you like about the other game and so you go back to it instead or you know you get more yeah. experiences and you know I love I, I I very much have a a soft spot in my heart for wow it's never it was my yeah. first MMO my really my first RP like my full-on RPG game Same that I had played me. yeah first one for me too and mm-hmm. I just I remember like I'm replaying it. I'm like oh I remember that yes. you know it's just kind of it's so yeah. silly, but it's it just, just, yeah, I, I have, I have lots of very, very fond nostalgic feelings for yeah. wow. And I, like, I had no idea what I was doing and people were, you know, not kind sometimes when I would have things gemmed wrong or things like that, but I didn't care. Cause it didn't like <laughs> <laughs> my enjoyment of the game. I'm like, you know, I'm still learning. That's what yeah. you do when you learn. Um, exactly. Yeah. And um, thank God for that ignore function. Yes. That was a lifesaver. Yes. yes. No kidding. No kidding. So you mentioned that you write about uh, superheroes. So tell us a little bit about your book series. So my, uh, I actually, I'm, I'm launching a second series uh, oh, in February. Cool. Uh, yeah. Well, this is coming out at a good time then. <laughs> yeah, it is. But they're all in the same universe. So kind of mm-hmm. like how comic books, in particular the Marvel universe, is very interconnected. Yeah. That's how I'm writing uh, my superhero books. There's going to be several different series, but they're all interconnected in the world. So the first is a trilogy. It's uh, the Vigilantes, the Phantasm trilogy. And it's set uh, for the most part in the late 1950s, 1960s. And it's an alternate Earth um, uh, setting. So there's a lot of the same things you'll recognize, like World War II happened, um, the civil rights movement, uh, the feminist movement, that kind of thing are still going on. I I'm of two minds about whether or not I'm going to do some of the more major historical elements like the Vietnam War and the right. Kennedy assassination. Not really yep. sure, but, um, but anyway. All the stuff they did in Mad Men. <laughs> exactly. Um, but basically what it is, is it's this world where people are starting to develop powers and nobody's really sure why they're coming up and uh, for the most part, people that are developing powers are trying to keep them quiet. And there is my main character, Alice, does not have powers because I really loved the idea of throwing a non-powered person into this world yeah. and seeing what she could do. Especially as the lead character, right? Because it's almost yes. always like if you think of Buffy, you know, she is the one, the chosen one, exactly. right? Exactly. So, yeah, that kind of turns the genre on its head. That's awesome. Yeah, she's my Batman or Batgirl, mm-hmm. really. Um, so, and she actually inherits the legacy of this vigilante called the serpent. And so there's been a serpent in existence in Jet City from the 19 teens on to when she gets the mantle in the late 1950s. And nobody's really known about it because as her mentor, who is a female, which I really was really important to me to make her mentor a female, as her mentor points out, who's really going to believe that it's a woman doing any of this? Mm. And so she, uh, Alice, pairs up with her childhood friends who have powers, and they start taking down a drug syndicate in the city, and they end up running afoul of a much more powerful individual. And uh, then the big, the big badness ensues, and right. the trilogy uh, is about them defeating this villain called Phantasm. Cool. That's awesome. And yeah. so that's the that's the next is that the next one or this one? The one you already have? That's this one. That's, that's this one. Okay. The next okay. one um it's funny. <laughs> the next one I'm I'm really I, I find it very challenging to come up with names for books or series. So I end uh-huh. up most of the time doing it at the very last minute. So Okay. Um, the name of the next book is Fahrenheit's Ghost, and but I don't have a series name yet. So. <laughs> um, I well, will sometimes the bigger pieces show themselves later. Like you have to get further in, exactly, to get the umbrella. So because yeah. I, one of the things I noticed when I was looking over your site was your you had said something about like the the book three had been book two. Yes. 
And then you had changed it. And I'm like, that's like something I would do because I would be like, <laughs> get in the story and I'd be like, oh, right. Well, this one actually needs to come before that. Yeah. <laughs> but and I wouldn't I, have known it. <laughs> exactly. And I, I was doing this real kind of like, you know, people would be curious about this one character's lost year, basically. Mm -hmm. But then I got some really great feedback from my advanced readers who are basically like, you've taken out a lot of the suspense because we already know how some of these elements work out. And I thought, right. well, that's a really good point. Um, but, and it's, you know, as an independent author, I can do that because I'm the publisher too. Right. Uh, it gives me a lot of flexibility, but it's also... I feel like a lot of people and my fans in particular, they've respected me when I said, I'm, I'm still learning mm -hmm. and I made this mistake and now I'm going to correct it. And yeah. so, um, that's a really powerful thing. I, people, people underestimate that all the time, but yeah. as a teacher, I found some of the most inspiring moments with my students when I'm in class and I'm like, you know, I'm figuring this out too. So <laughs> <laughs> please bear with me. I just went through that last semester. I had a whole new assignment that my students did and it was a grade A disaster. Oh, I mean, no. it was just a disaster. I mean, it was a good disaster because we all learned from it. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot that I took away and I think it's really powerful to be able to be strong enough to say, listen, I'm still trying to figure this out. <laughs> oh yeah. Every day it's something new. Honestly. Yeah. Um, and thank God for other authors who are further down the road than me that I can turn to and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking. And it's, mm -hmm. what do you think about that? And the indie author community is so generous and so giving. It's, it's not, I mean, there is some competition, obviously we're, yeah. we're all in business, you all know, the same. Yeah. but nobody that I've run into anyway, like doesn't want to share knowledge or, right. you know, tries to sabotage Help. you. Yeah, right. everybody everybody wants to help you. Right. So can you talk a little bit about um about your choices to become an indie author and what and what it means sort of to be your own publisher? Sure. Um it's actually something that I absolutely love talking about. Good. Uh, awesome. So independent first of all, independent publishing basically means that you not only produce the books or like write the books, but you also you publish them. So you would publish them as an ebook either exclusively to Amazon or you would uh, go everywhere, which is called going wide. And most people think that's it. But as an indie author, you also have the ability to produce print books and audio books. It's awesome. a little bit more of a complicated process uh, right, than an yeah. ebook, but it is something that you can do. And at the same time, you're also doing all of the marketing uh, for that book, which isn't just ads, although that is a, a part of it, but it's also the copywriting. It's, the newsletter, it's um, networking with other authors. So you are wearing all the hats, basically. Right. Um, the only hats that most indie authors do not wear is the editor and the cover designer. You really want to reach out and find other people to do that for you because you most of us... Work. Exactly, exactly. And As a composition <laughs> instructor, I can tell you, yeah. you can't edit your own work. <laughs> no, and unless you have graphic design training, yeah. you should not do, you your, own do your own covers. Um, no. Nope. So I actually, I have um, two editors and a proofreader that goes through my book. Uh, because I am terrible at grammar. Like I am, I am awful. You know, that's, that's, that's an important thing to tell people because <laughs> people, I mean, you know, I come across that all the time. Like when I ask my students, what are, you know, your weaknesses? Oh, I'm bad with, you know, grammar. And I'm like, yeah, well, so am I, I can't spell to save my life. I will write words up on the board and my, I teach composition. I spell words <laughs> wrong on the board all the time. I'm like, I just because I can't spell doesn't mean I can't write. Like there exactly. is spell check. Thank God. Spell check. I know. Right. Life changing for some of us who can't spell, but you know, it's such a, it's such a small thing in terms of being a writer, mm -hmm. like grammar, but you know, so many people get hung up on it. So yes. it's really powerful. Well, and you want to make sure that you're one of the things that my proofreader does, and she's the last one that actually has her hands on it before it, it goes up and it goes, mm -hmm. you know, to the, the print formatter and everything. Um, she looks at my sentence structure and makes sure that it actually makes sense because sometimes, and I, I've gotten better at this because I've started reading my work out loud before sending it to her. Good. I, yeah. I make my students do that all the time. <laughs> it's really eye-opening. Yes, um, it really is. <laughs> What's better is if someone else reads it out loud to you. Yes. See, oh, and I'm going to, I'm going to experience that because I'm actually 
So I am producing the Phantasm Trilogy into audiobooks this year. That's one of my big goals. So one of the things I will have to do is listen to the narrator and read along with it in my book because I have to, if she's had to change anything, I have to approve that change. Mm. Um, But a friend of mine recently did this for his series and he's like, it's really, it can be really terrible. Like if she reads something and you're like, God, that does not sound good at all. Um, So I, I, it's the other reason I'm reading it out loud is I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, if I could head some of that off at the past, that'd be great. But that is being an indie author. I mean, that really is, it's all on you pretty much. It's your responsibility. And crazily enough, that really appealed to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I had gone down the road of writing out letters, asking agents and editors to look at my work. I even, I've even pitched to several agents who asked for sample chapters and then I never heard a word. Mm. And I that's, knew that's that pretty common for anybody who's listening, who doesn't know, so like common. just dead ends are kind of what happens with the publishing. Yeah. Um, it's mm-hmm. like, and I, I wasn't, I was an actress before I became an author. And so I had gotten somewhat accustomed to not getting feedback because you go to an audition and you don't get the role. Nobody tells you why. Right, Nobody tells exactly. you, you know, what the problem is. So you just kind of have to move on. And I knew I didn't want to do that with writing. I had done it with acting. I was kind of over it. And mm-hmm. I also was over gatekeepers because I didn't want yes. people to tell me, well, nobody's going to read a science fiction book written by a woman. Right. You know, nobody's going to read about female superheroes. Right. I just, I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. There's, and, so much, there's so much of it, movies, TV, it goes on everywhere. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> women are, I know women are going to buy this stuff, really. Let's look at Wonder Woman's numbers, please. I know, exactly. Yeah. And the vast majority, I think, of my readers are female. And mm-hmm. they're older females. They're older women. Um, one of the things I heard constantly with the first book in my trilogy was women who generally aren't superhero fans, but somebody gave them this book, said, oh, my God, you have to read it. And they were like, I don't like superheroes, but I liked this, mm. which I thought was really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you can be the gateway drug. I love that. I'm <laughs> so open for that. Um, so that was that was really one of the main impetuses of going indie was I wouldn't have gatekeepers keeping me out. And I also, I'm kind of a control freak about certain things. <laughs> so I could, I could control everything. And yes. it was really appealing. Um, yes. So that was um, in a nutshell why I did that. I'm only laughing because it resonates so deeply with me, (laughs) which is part of the reason why I'm not an academic author or I won't publish in the academy is because I don't want them gatekeeping and controlling or the university owning my work. So I completely resonate with that. (laughs) It's um, it's funny. There are a lot of... um, somewhat big names, mainstream authors that are starting to look at going indie once like to, to write a new series. that's not under contract with a publisher mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons, because indie publishing is starting to become much more respected, but also, and this is purely mercenary, but the royalty rates you get are so much better because yeah. you get the vast majority of your money um, when you indie publish and when you, are traditionally published, you don't. And either right. way, here's the real real kicker. Either way, you're, you have to do marketing these days. Yeah. The yeah. only people that are getting marketing done for their books are the big names. So if you right. come in as a newbie, unless you hit like girl on the train status, right. they're not going to do anything for you. Where you have a sudden unexpected success and they can write it and they get a lot of benefit from it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've heard that as well. That was going to be one of kind of my questions in this um uh, part of the this topic was how how different it is to be an indie author and um, what what's the grind like because that's what I hear from a lot of other people I know who have indie published how you really you know you really have to you know you have to sell it yourself all of indie yeah. publishing is about you being able to market yourself and so what's the grind like like what's what's that look like for you um well I'm my both my girls are in full time school this year, which has just opened up a lot of hours, but it doesn't feel like it. Um, right. I know it's funny how that works. It's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I have all this time, and the next thing you know, I got to go already. Like, exactly. I just got started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really disciplined about it from the beginning. So when I first wrote the first book, 
I wrote during nap time because at the time my oldest was in kindergarten, <laughs> my youngest was still in diapers. So I wrote during right. nap time and my husband and I talked about it and two or three nights a week, he would come home and take care of the girls. And then I would go write for a couple of hours Then he and I would have dinner. And that continued up until this year uh, when both girls are in school. And so I, I just, I find the time, I guess I, I, right. I find the little nuggets, like, especially when I had at least one child at home, I would find the 20 minutes here and the 15 minutes there. Mm-hmm. And I, I voice, I still do this today. I voice dictate my um, revision notes. Like while right. I'm making dinner, I think about my book, my, right. you know, the story problem. And then I'll voice dictate it into my phone, into my note taking app. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and then you can go back and you didn't waste whatever five minutes you had that you had the thoughts going on. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I generally like mo- most indie authors will schedule a dedicated writing time at some point in the day, and then they'll they'll dedicate a certain amount of time to marketing, and that's how I've done it. So mm-hmm. I get up pretty early these days, and I try to get in at least forty five minutes of writing time before I get my girls up, and um, then I'm usually back at my desk you know, in the late morning and then I write until lunch and then Mm -hmm. afternoon is marketing, business, networking, um, that kind of thing. And that, that's what works for me. And I, I tend to keep myself on a pretty strict schedule. I, it's a struggle to put in those personal, like self-care times. Um, I learned the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned the hard way. If I don't do that, my body will just shut down. Yeah. And then then it's a week that's Mm -hmm. gone instead of just one day. Right. Yes. So I've I've learned to take a couple of days a month and just replenish, whether that's reading or watching TV or playing an MMO, like whatever it is, you know. Um, It can be anything. Like, I mean, I have these like sort of cliched ideas where it has to be a spa or a massage or something like that. And I'm not discounting any of those things because let me tell you, a good pedicure can change (laughs) your outlook. However, you know, you know, sitting down and having, you know, a day where I like, I got sick at the beginning of the year and I got a stomach virus and I binge watched uh, The Chilling Tales of Sabrina. Oh, I heard that was really good. Um, and it, it was good. It was good. Um, I, I had a couple of issues with it, but I'm, I don't think there's anything that I can't nitpick to some degree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so don't take that as like uh, criticism. But a couple of times I was like, what? This is weird. Um, but I binge watched that and I just sat on the couch and I was like, I think this is what I needed, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think, you know, and that was very, you know, replenishing. So it can, yeah. you know playing a day day of games it's always good so yeah yeah Yeah. so that's I mean that's how I do it and you know Mm -hmm. I I have to be flexible in the sense of if one of my kids gets sick Mm -hmm. or I mean you'd have to do that if you had a traditional job too exactly I I I really love a schedule I, Mm -hmm. I find comfort in the rigidity of a schedule and so I've had to learn through the years honestly how to talk to myself and say, okay, this is still going to be all right. This is just a different schedule today. You know, Mm -hmm. and it's, it sounds funny, but that's just how my mind works. And so, um, I think I flourish, uh, with the necessity of a schedule that being an indie author provides, but then that on the flip side of it produces Mm -hmm. its own problems kind of. Right. So, yeah. um, But that's basically how I do it. Yeah. Um, Cool. And lots of lists. <laughs> I love lists. <laughs> and, and two planners. Yes, <laughs> what are you telling me about before we recorded? I do. Yeah, I have one huge planner that's just basically planning out the steps for each book project. And then I have a planner that's for everything else. And mm-hmm. my husband looks at me. He's like, do you really need that? I'm like, yes, I do. absolutely do sometimes I I think husbands just don't understand things (laughs) (laughs) he is so loosey-goosey like he'll plan something mm -hmm. and then like the day of the thing he'll be like oh I wonder what snacks we should have and for me I'm like menu is planned out weeks in advance you know like we're so opposite (laughs) what I know exactly what we're taking. We need to pack this and this and this. That's exactly. me. Exactly. We got all this planned. We got all this ready. Yeah. Yeah. My husband will just grab a bag and be like, let's go. And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Sure. And then he's like, oh, I left my toothbrush. I'm like, well, you see, yeah. 
Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> that's awesome so so you talked about uh wonder woman being your um kind of your first uh fandom and um uh, one of the first sort of geeky interests you had so i'm assuming that that means that your interest in superheroes has been long-standing and that that very much carried over into your writing it it definitely did yes um i thought superhero stories could either be comic books or, or TV or film. But I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s when I read my first superhero novel. And I'm mm. blown away. I thought, oh, my God, you can put these in novel form, too. But I didn't yeah. actually write one until my late 30s um, because I, you know, I was doing other things. Um, but, yeah, it's it's the more I learn and study pop culture and its effects, on people and in particular people who are not widely represented positive mm-hmm. positively in media, the more passionate I become about superhero narratives in particular um, with uh, minorities, mm-hmm. uh, yes. diver- diverse cast of people. And so mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I chose a woman uh, as my heroine for my first book. I mean, she, she's an abuse survivor. Um, she, is short and she's got curvy hips because I just kind of wanted to buck the tradition of this like all skinny. Exactly. Boobie. Um, exactly. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. You're hitting all the my the <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would look at a comic book. I'm like, how does she stay in that thing? Right. Like, there exactly. is no way. Exactly. Like this peekaboo thing right here. What? Why? I know. Exactly. Like that's an immense amount of body tape mm-hmm. to expend. Yes. You know? <laughs> every um, time. You every time. Every time you need to save the universe. Exactly. You do not need to be taping up your boobs. <laughs> exactly. Um, and in in fact, the the series that's launching in February uh, has my first uh, African American lesbian protagonist in it. I'm super excited. Awesome. Um, I did uh, sensitivity readers, which for those of you that don't know, it's somebody that reads your manuscript that uh, can relate to your character when you can't. So I'm not black. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what that's like living as an African American in America. So I have a very good friend. He's an actor. And I asked him, I said, would you mind looking at this and just letting me know? And he was like, sure. And he had some incredible feedback, things that actually changed the plot and the end point of the book that I never would have thought about. Right. Um, well, because you don't have, I mean, you don't have the perspective. Like there's exactly. just no way as much empathy as we can have when you got white skin, you're still going to have a white experience, right? Exactly. And yeah. I read when I, when I want to represent, um, a community or a minority in anything that I'm writing, I tend to go to that community's um, writings. So I read, I read Bell Hooks and I read um, oh, Bell Hooks. Uh, it's not Maya Angelou. Who is it? Uh, Tony Morrison. Tony Morrison. Yeah. Um, and so, and I read like people that write in this Tony Hesey Coates, you know, I read mm-hmm. these people uh, to know what was it like, you know, mm-hmm. what did, what are they thinking about these things? What was their experience? But still, that doesn't give you kind of that, uh, that, well, obviously not the hands-on, but I really feel like talking to somebody, like writing my story and then having them read it and actually talking to somebody that lives right. that experience every day was even more. And so mm-hmm. if anybody's listening and they really do want to write diverse fiction, what I would suggest is read the writings of the people in those communities and then find someone in that community to read your writing because mm-hmm. both hand in hand will, will give you a much better feel uh, for writing a diverse character. Right. And that's, that's really good advice. Um, to bring the two together, like I've heard a lot of people sort of give the advice of one, one or the other mm-hmm. of uh, read the fiction or make sure you have sensitivity readers. Um, but I think thinking about it, as both, because when when we read fiction or we read anything, um, you take so much of who you are into it, mm-hmm. right? There's so exactly. much of, you don't even realize how much of your own bias or your own experience you're placing in the text that you're looking at. We don't look at anything objectively, you know, and don't believe anybody who tells you that they do because <laughs> they're full of it. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, I look at this. I don't see. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. 
You're seeing everything through your lens. And so when we just look at the literature of um, people from diverse backgrounds and backgrounds that vary from ourselves, um, you still bring a lot of who you are into it. And so even if you you know, have the idea that you could learn enough from that, you're still going to have the bias of how you read it mm-hmm. go go into your writing as well, because there's no way to kind of get away from that thing. Absolutely. So I think that's a really important piece that talking to somebody from the community would change. So what was it like to get that kind of feedback, like, and to have it change the story so profoundly? Um, I'll admit I was a little nervous, not because I was I put it out there for feedback. So it was like, you know, I was, I was asking made the choice. to rip it apart. Yeah. Right. But I was more nervous about having offended, you know, uh, been like really stepped in something big that I did not realize about. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was, God bless him. And I've known him for years. We were in acting school together. He's an amazing person and amazing actor. And, and he was really honest with me, which there were times when I was like, Oh God, I can't believe I did that. And he was like, you didn't know. Right. And he said that a couple of times, like, you didn't know. How are we supposed right. to know this? That's why you're asking me. And that yeah. really put me at ease. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of how it in terms of how it felt when it changed the story, it was actually kind of a relief because I instinctively knew something was off right. in certain parts and I couldn't figure out what it was. And then when he talked about it, I was like, oh my goodness. And so I would tweak it and I would say, how about this? And he's like, oh yeah, that'd be perfect. Cool. And it just, it made it, to my mind anyway, it made it a much more deeper and nuanced story. It made probably the stronger. Way, it very yeah. much stronger. And it made the character more three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. It made her more real. Um, and it really pushed me toward more, um, like, meeting conflict head-on in the story, which I was surprised having taken a look at it. I was like, oh, I shied away from that in several points. And his feedback made me kind of hit it, you yeah. know, instead of shying away. And Which so I just was... also like to point out is a thing that um, white authors tend to do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes do. White, white people, maybe as a generalization, I'm not saying everybody, um, but there is a tendency we have because, you know, I think those of us who are sensitive and worried about things like being racist and racism and how we might uh, covertly portray it uh, tend to just sidestep. So you think, okay, if I just go around this. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he's like, why, are you, why did you write it like that? There was one funny point where um, I have my character being ang- like the main character is kind of angry at this um, Alice from who's from the trilogy, uh, the first trilogy, but she's in the beginning of, of this uh, new book. And she's talking to my main character about what's going on in the main character's neighborhood where she grew up and she's just not getting it. Mm. And the main character is angry with her, but I didn't really, I didn't take that anger to its logical conclusion. And he asked me why. And I said, well, I didn't want her to come across as the angry black woman. And he was like, Oh, like, you know, the angry black woman only exists in the white person's head. Right. Right. And I was like, I do now. <laughs> it. That's exactly it. That's what I mean when I say we read it and we put ourselves in it, right? And we put yeah. our context in it. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And it was, but it was great to have that wake yeah. up. He's like, we yeah. have all the same emotions. I'm like, I know. I'm really sorry. He's like, it's fine, you know. And then we just moved on. And I think it. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. Like yes. that's the other thing I would say is if mm. you're going to do this, you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable on many levels. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. was one thing I had forced myself to do over the last couple of years is when I'm when I'm confronted with something that's that's outside of my scope of experience as a human being and it makes me uncomfortable, I make myself stop and say, like, why am I uncomfortable with right. this exactly? Mm-hmm. Instead of running away from it, which is what I would do, instead I sit with it and I I kind of confront it. And it has helped. And so I think in that moment with my friend. I took that hit. I, I sat there with that discomfort and it really made me like a better person and a better writer, to be honest. Right. Right. Well, that's awesome. And that, that gives me so much hope for just what the process can do um, of, of, I mean, I mean, I always, 
I, like I said, I teach composition. It's what I've done for, you know, the majority of my adult life. And I always try to tell my students how empowering it can be to become a good writer and to like take the time to hone the skill and to recognize that like four months in my class isn't going to like completely change your patterns. <laughs> I'm hopefully going to give you, you know, a skill set that will assist you. Um, but, you know, if we have authors who are more sensitive and who do these, this kind of process, we really could like, I don't want to say change the world because I don't want to get into hyperbole here. However, we really could change the world because like you've mentioned, you know, pop culture is so important and so vital representations are so important and so vital. And the truth is that white authors are still going to continue to get more attention than authors of color, um, which is something we can also work to change. Yeah. Um, but when we have the voice and we have the agency and you have the power to do that, do it as sensitively as you can and look what you learn from it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm still learning. It's not like yeah. an end point. Like, no, ever. I don't um, think anything is an end point. I don't, but no. you know, you know, it's hard to be a college professor and not be like, you can still learn because you, know, <laughs> you can still learn. <laughs> a life, it's a, it takes a lifetime. Basically. It does. Yeah, and I love sure. that because I also mm-hmm. really love learning. Like I'm constantly yeah, what else can I learn about this and that, mm-hmm. which is also circling back around, very helpful as an indie author because things mm-hmm. are constantly changing. Right, right. Um, and that was another thing I wanted to kind of get to with that too. So what you said, one of the reasons why you chose to be an indie author was because you wanted the control uh-huh. and you wanted to be able to keep your work, you know, yours and get away from gatekeepers. So what in the process has been, has been difficult for you to kind of stretch yourself into? Like what yeah. part of taking that on pushed you? I think uh, the marketing was the big one that pushed me, but also really um, the mindset of I am a business owner. Mm. Like that was kind of, I really resisted that oddly enough. I kind of dug in my heels. I'm like, no, I'm not. You right. know, I'm, I'm writing a publishing book. Like, right. no, I'm a business owner. This is a small business. And I think for me, having having been raised incredibly conservatively that the the highest thing I could aspire to was to be a pastor's wife, Um, which there's nothing wrong with. No, there's nothing wrong with being a pastor's wife, but the, the, um, it's the box. It's the, yeah. the I always, I'm, she's, she's reacting because my eyebrows raised and I like, I can't help my expressive face. Um, but it's not, <laughs> it's not because of that limitation. It's just because I always have a problem with here's the best you could do. And it's this little tiny box with exactly. some hierarchy. Um, <laughs> and so there was never this, uh, you could be anything. Mm-hmm. It was, this is what you should be. This right. Is what, this you is know, what you aim for. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And being a business owner certainly wasn't even in the cosmos of what I was raised <laughs> to think that I could be. Um, being an author was kind of off to the side, you know, down there right. somewhere. This is something um, women can do when they're done having kids and doing exactly. the other things. Like you can consider doing this when all your other responsibilities are taken care of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so changing my mindset that not only was I a business owner, but I could be a business owner and I could be really good at it. And the more that I stretched myself and learned about marketing and it was hard. I mean, I'll admit this is, this isn't just a steep climb. It's like a straight up and down, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a vertical climb right? Um, and it doesn't get much easier. I mean, I hate to say that like, you, yeah, you learn something, but then there's always something else. And right. Something else. Some new hurdle or something changes and you have to exactly. learn. Exactly. Yeah. Which I kind of thrive with, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like I love, I love learning new things in that respect. But the more I learned about marketing and the more that I realized how I could apply it, like not just taking someone else's blueprint, but like learning all this stuff and then me putting the blueprint from my business together myself. It was like the, it was really like owning power mm-hmm. for me. Sure. Um, and so it was really a confidence boost. And I feel like now sitting here today, it's like, yeah, I am a business owner. I can say that with pride and confidence where I certainly could not when I published my first book in 2017. Like, <laughs> I just did not talk about it. And now I love talking about that. Right. Um, yeah. I think for me, that was the biggest stretch was just right. owning that and like owning my own power in that. Mm-hmm. 
I was just going to say, that's what the conclusion I was going to take from that was. It granted you agency that you yeah. didn't recognize or know that you needed. And it took you time to kind of own it, which I, which I think in our society that is constantly telling women they need to fit into boxes, less so now than, than they did, you know, perhaps when we were growing up, since we have a lot of the same early memories of things. <laughs> um, those, uh, you know, it's less, of, it's less now, but there's still mm-hmm. these like societal constrictions that we see gendered societal constrictions that we're fighting against. And um, even just having an interest in superheroes at one point would have been something that wouldn't have been gendered for girls. And still, you know, we're still fighting for, you know, oh, yeah. girls to have, you know, girl clothing that has, Superman on it or whatever, you know, if Uh that's what they're into or, you know, whatnot. Um, So, you know, I I think that that's a really important thing too, just to note how, how that changed your vision of yourself Uh and then, you know, empowered you through it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of the best outcome you could have from having made such a, made that choice and, and to have made a choice that, it wasn't wasn't traditional, right? Because uh-huh. traditional traditional publishing is traditional. So. It is, it is definitely, and it's like it's when you when you publish traditionally. I think a lot of authors have this mindset of okay, hands off. I'm mm-hmm. I'm just writing the stories, right? Um, which on one hand is true, but as the publishing industry changes, it's less and less true. To be honest, right? Yeah, yeah. So. I think that that's I've seen that, and I've seen that with other friends I've had who are indie authors or who are going with different um, imprints who they have certain expectations with and have fallen short of. So, you know, it's, if you're going to do the work, you might as well reap the benefits from it. That is exactly what I was thinking too. (laughs) And there are to to be on the flip side of it though, I would say it's not for everybody. There are Mm -hmm. some people that I've met that were just like, I I weighed the costs and benefits and everything. And I just don't want to. And Mm -hmm. to them, I say, Awesome. Go right. with a traditional go with a small press. You yes. know, you do you to get your story out there because right. that's what's important. You yep. know. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for Thank coming you. on. I've had such a good time. Yeah, this was fantastic. This was a great, a great conversation. So is there anything else you want to kind of let our listeners know or tell us where to to find you and to find your work? Uh, well, uh, where you can find me first, um, I have a website, it's trishheinrich.com and you can, uh, learn a little bit more about me. You can sign up to get a free book. It's a, it's a novella ebook. Um, and you can see where to buy my books. Uh, the first book in the phantasm trilogy is going to be when, well, when this goes out, it should be on sale for 99 cents until the end of the month. If you want to just get a taste, um, and then Fahrenheit's Ghost, which is the start of a new uh, series in the same universe, will be out on February the 15th everywhere. That awesome. Books are sold. So, cool. Yeah. That's yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, all the links um, to uh, Trisha's um, social media and to her website will be up on thegeekembassy.com. So make sure to go check out those. Follow her on Facebook and Twitter and um support support your indie authors people please please support your indie authors they leave they reviews deserve it. and leave reviews yes <laughs> leave reviews <laughs> A heartfelt thank you to Trish for joining me on the show today. It was a pleasure to meet her and get a chance to talk about superheroes and independent publishing. The first book in her Vigilante series is just 99 cents until January 31st. Check out the link at the Geek Embassy. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on! Game on!